Hello, I'm Connor Pope and this is In the News from the Irish Times. Today, Omicron is here and in a big way. But just how bad could it get? And are we ready for what happens next? By now we know the Omicron variant of SARS-CoV-2 is the most transmissible variant we've seen yet. We also know people who've been vaccinated or who have already had the virus are far more easily infected or reinfected with the new variant. We can see that the growth in Omicron cases here in the UK is now mirroring the rapid increase that we are seeing in South Africa and the current observed doubling time is around every two days. The percentage of Omicron cases here is growing dramatically. The Minister for Health, Stephen Donnelly, has told the Doyle that as of today, 27% of new COVID-19 cases are of the variant Omicron. A frantic effort is now underway to get booster vaccines into as many arms as possible, as quickly as possible. We're opening up the pharmacies, the GPs and the vaccination centres to people with a view to really getting the, the uptake accelerated and to get more people vaccinated as quickly as we possibly can. Paul Cullen, health editor for the Irish Times. Is it inevitable? Are Omicron cases going to explode here in the next few weeks? Yes, they are. They're going to go reach stratospheric levels, it seems. So the question then arises, what are you going to do about that? And what are the implications for the wider health service? Now, Paul, globally, the Delta variant is still the dominant strain of COVID-19. But as we've heard, Omicron is taking over in some countries. What is happening in those places? What we're seeing in some of those places, which are early forerunners of what will happen around the world, is that you have two pandemics effectively at the moment, a twindemic, as you might call it. Oh, God. So that in London, you, you have a Delta wave, and we have one here already, and then on top of that, you have Omicron and they act slightly differently uh, because the Delta wave is likely, uh, as we know, to mostly affect unvaccinated people, whereas Omicron, as you mentioned, can infect people who've already been vaccinated. So we're li- more likely to see the Omicron working as reinfection. Now, that should be milder, but but as I say, it's early days to gauge what's going to happen. So we're currently at around 4,000 new cases being notified per day in Ireland. Where could that number get to over Christmas and into the new year, based on the best case scenario and based on the worst case scenario? Yeah, so that's about 4,000 Delta cases. And uh, that has been coming down slightly, including among children. Uh, So we were doing a pretty good job there. Our officials are doing their their estimates as they're drawing up their models at the moment. And the indications are... As usual, they have a wide span, uh, these models, but the indications are that, you know, we could be talking about twice that at at best and maybe anything up to 20,000 at a more pessimistic level. And of course, we've all been clutching at straws to some degree in recent weeks, and we've been looking at very early data that was coming out of South Africa. And that suggested that the Omicron variant caused a milder version of COVID-19. So that gave rise to some hope that the impact of this new variant might be less dangerous than the previous variants and indeed the original COVID-19 strain. But it's not yet clear whether that's the case. So do we have any up-to-date data about the severity of Omicron across the world? And have people that you've been speaking to in the health system told you that the severity of Omicron is likely to be a significant factor in what happens next? So I think it's becoming clear that Omicron is less severe, although more transmissible. So that in South Africa, for example, 
where cases rose to the height of their previous Delta wave, deaths are only about 10% of that previous peak. Scientists have done, uh, in Hong Kong, they've sometimes have done some, some work in the lab, and this is quite experimental stuff, but they've shown that, that Omicron replicates 70 times faster than Delta in the bronchus, in the upper respiratory area, but less efficiently, 10 times less efficiently in the lung. So that may explain the lower severity. Um, but of course, it's not just about the severity of a particular virus. It's also about how the human immune system responds. So there's no guarantee that this is going to be milder in the sense of there being fewer hospitalizations. In fact, there are going to be more because there are going to be so many people infected with this. Most of the cases will be very, very mild. In the UK, they're talking about a million people being infected every week. Um, most, Many of them will not even know that. But even a tiny proportion of those uh, that end up in hospital will be problematic. By now, we're sure that Omicron is very good at evading immunity, either from prior infection or from vaccination. But what we also know is that a third dose of the vaccine brings our protection levels right back up again. And the government has been forced to move quickly in recent days to try and implement changes to its booster programme. On Wednesday, it confirmed that there would be a rapid acceleration of the booster programme here. And GPs and pharmacies have been told that they can start administering booster vaccines to everyone aged 16 and over. They've also been told that they should prioritise older and more vulnerable patients. It does seem that the booster programme that's been outlined this week seems like an enormous task, especially right before Christmas. Do you think it's manageable? Yeah, it is an enormous task and it's probably highlighted what you just said there. You're correct. The HSE did tell GPs and pharmacies that they could vaccinate younger people. They then told me yesterday that they had sent out a communication to pharmacies in error. And in fact, they retracted their original communication to the pharmacies. So their pharmacies are being told to stick to vaccinating people in their 50s and the other priority groups until they move on to younger people. GPs have a bit more latitude, but they're expected to, to, to do their patients in their 50s first. So that just highlights how complex the, the, this is. I mean, obviously, you could say we've done this before. We've done other vaccines before. We've done the COVID vaccine. Uh, there were some teething troubles at the start of the year, but that eventually ran very, very well. Uh, but unfortunately, a lot of that work was disbanded, really, uh, and the whole effort was scaled down because it, it was thought that the work was over. Um, so it's now it's got to be reinstated, and that means redeploying staff and so on and rebuilding up centres, and also encouraging the public to come out again and to, to take a booster. And there's evidence already, for example, that there's uh, less demand than there was for, for the original vaccines, you know, even among the most vulnerable groups. So, for example, over 70s and over 80s, was 100% take up of the original vaccine, but that's down at 70 or 80% now for boosters. So there's a big challenge there, but it does seem that boosters offer the best short term uh, prospect of getting through this with the least impact on our health services. Since the start of the crisis, one of the big questions has been how will the health system cope with a surge in cases of COVID-19? And that's still the big question now. And do you think the booster programme will come quickly enough? And will it make a big enough difference to prevent the kind of surge in hospitalisations and the number of ICU beds being taken up by COVID patients in time? Well, it's clear that there will be a surge. It seems likely to be somewhat 
on the scale of last winter. We know last winter the health service was under extreme pressure. A lot of work was cancelled to make way for the input of COVID-19 patients. Hospitals went into surge capacity. It was stretched, let's say, to about eight and a half or nine out of ten, really. So if this surge turns out to be worse, it could come close to breaking point. We have improved capacity slightly from last winter and obviously hospitals have been making preparations already. They've already been stopping elective work and clearing out uh, beds in anticipation of a rise in cases. It isn't certain that that rise will, will come and it hasn't come so far under the Delta wave. So that is encouraging. It is going to be the pinch point, but it's not clear yet. It's just a bit too early to be able to say. I mentioned a phrase earlier on about clutching at straws, and I think that's what most people do. And one of the straws that people have been clutching at in recent days has been the antivirals that are coming down the tracks. And one drug in particular developed by Pfizer is said to reduce hospitalizations and deaths by as much as 91%. And that drug is said to be coming on stream in this country next month. Now, I hate to use the phrase, but will those kind of antiviral drugs be game changers, the, the game changers that we've all been waiting for in the way that we kind of hoped the vaccines would be, but ultimately weren't? Yeah, I think it's time to re- retire that expression game changer in, in, <laughs> in a crisis as long lasting as this one. I think I think we're a bit long in the tooth now with this pandemic for for using this kind of notion that there would be a wonder pill to solve it all. That's not going to happen. You know, it's going to be a combination of a lot of different things. It is true that uh, the drug companies are coming up with new products, which they say are very effective. They tend to release their uh, scientific information by press release, which doesn't allow for independent evaluation until such time as the product is in the hospitals. Uh, so, you know, I'd be inclined to... Uh, take some of this press release type information uh, with a grain of salt until we see how effective they are. And finally, the the World Health Organization's Mike Ryan, a person you've interviewed on many, many occasions, said this week that we can't either vaccinate or lock down our way out of the pandemic. So what does he think is the way out? How does this all end? Well, the the World Health Organization hasn't been right on everything, it has to be said, uh, during this pandemic. It seemed to be slow, for example, to to give it the thumbs up to the use of boosters. And we've realised now that they were needed pretty urgently. It espouses vaccination of the world. And that certainly is a way to end this pandemic. It doesn't seem to me practical, given the the way the virus has mutated so quickly. I think it's a bit like painting the the Golden Gate Bridge, really. I mean, you paint one, you start painting one side. By the time years later you get to the other side, it's time to start painting it again. So you give the world vaccines, and we we're, we're failing in in doing that. But by the time you finish, it's time to start giving them boosters again. And like we're nowhere near the kind of level of production and distribution of vaccines around the world that we could even hope to put a, the clamper on this virus even before it's mutated. And then when it's mutated, of course, then you have to change the product a bit. And we've seen that boosters aren't getting as much uptake as the original vaccines in even in developed countries. So I, I'm not quite sure that that's the, that's the solution. So that leaves all the other measures that we do, that we do, that we all know so about and that we hope that we can be escaped from. So it isn't really clear, to be honest with you. Um, and obviously scientists have talked about the, the disease becoming endemic, but it's starting to look now that that could mean quite high numbers of deaths every year in the world seasonally as waves of the virus come through. 
So it's just going to be a matter of, of managing the situation, having the least worst outcomes uh, while keeping economies afloat and people in work. Paul Cullen, as ever, thank you very much for talking to us and I suspect that you'll be talking to us again sometime in the very near future. Thanks, Connor. Coming up, how far will the government go to slow the spread of Omicron? Jennifer Bray, political correspondent with the Irish Times. We're recording this on Thursday evening, just after Neffet met. And they're going to brief the government Friday about the COVID situation in Ireland. What can we expect Neffet to tell the government in that briefing on Friday? Yeah, so like the way it usually works is that they come out of their meeting and Tony Holohan will, sometimes he will um, brief uh, Stephen Donnelly, you know, in person and say, this is, you know, the gist of what's happened and here's what we've decided. And he'll go back and put his, him and his officials will put it into a letter. And that letter then will go to Stephen Donnelly and often to the Department of Taoiseach. Now, what we found in recent weeks is that some of the details will leak out. And actually nine out of ten, ten times they have leaked about what, what the recommendations are on previous Thursday nights. The difference between tonight and other nights is that they've really clamped down on leaks because the government has felt bounced into making decisions on the basis of information that they haven't yet received, which uh, I suppose is fair enough. What we understand that they discussed today was how to reduce socialisation in particular and close contacts now that we are basically a week away from Christmas. This was always the case that they wanted, you know, in the face of the Delta variant, that they wanted to reduce that. But now, of course, we have the arrival of Omicron and the the increased spread of Omicron, and it's become even more imperative. So the kind of things that they would have discussed, the kind of things that they would be recommending to government will be around ensuring that people when they have their Christmas gatherings that they have a smaller number of people in the house um, and increased use of testing. Testing is going to be so important. Antigen tests, you know, taking tests before you go and see elderly relatives. They use this phrase intergenerational mixing. Look, we know that as your, you know, your nan and granddad, your aunties and uncles, whoever else being up at your house on Christmas Day for, for dinner. What they would like to see, I think, is enhanced and certainly what the government would like to see is enhanced testing before you do that. So it gives everybody this extra level of reassurance. And in fact, like it probably make you feel better about your yourself as you go into probably enjoy yourself more. So there's that. They also want to look at the issue of close contacts, about how we contact trace, about maybe enhanced contact tracing for people, you know, in future for Om- people who have that Omicron variant. And then they'll also be looking at large gatherings. Um, and we can expect to hear what the future is for things like Leopardstown, big, big sporting gatherings. Will they have crowds? Will those crowds be reduced? And how can they get those numbers down? Okay, so no large gatherings, reduced close contacts, maybe more restrictions on sporting events, no house parties and more antigen testing. Is Neffet confident that these measures will be enough to slow the spread of Omicron in the days ahead? Well, you know, what was interesting was when on Tuesday, uh, members of the three, the three party leaders, basically, and their chiefs of staff and their advisors met with Tony Holen and Philip Nolan's two members of the, uh, of the NEFIT to have an informal discussion and to kind of, as Leo Varadkar said, to compare notes on exactly where the trajectory of this was going. And what was striking now, that was another meeting where it was hard to find out and get leaks of what happened from what I have heard. And um, what was striking was the level of uncertainty that was expressed in that meeting. So th- there's a lot of 
really important things that they just don't know yet about Omicron. One of the most important ones is how does it interact with vaccines? What is the level of what they call vaccine escape, which is, you know, how well will Pfizer, Moderna, um, Janssen, all the other vaccines, how well will they hold up AstraZeneca uh, in the face of Omicron? They don't know that yet. How severe will the illness be? Because there are reports and indications that it is a more mild illness. But of course, even if it is a more mild illness, it's so much more transmissible. So the feeling is, you know, in effort and in government, even if it's twice as transmissible, but 50% less severe in terms of, of symptoms, there's still really big numbers going into hospitals. And that the fear is that what we could see in January would not only be similar to last year, but it actually would be worse. And we can all remember what a terrible fright we got last January 2021 when we saw those figures and, and it was a really awful time. And their, their worry is that that's what we're facing into. And in fact, it could be worse and things are changing every day. We know now that, you know, nearly nearly 30% yeah. of cases are Omicron when that was only 1% last week. So, and look at the UK, they set a record yesterday. So things are very fluid. So what the NEFIT recommend on Thursday this week could be very, very different, different to what they recommend next week. What we've seen from the early modelling which has been presented to the government on the future trajectory of the Omicron variant, uh, it seems like it's going to be extremely bad. The, the Minister for Health, Stephen Donnelly, described the situation as very stark. And Paul Cullen told us er- earlier that the optimistic scenarios might mean that hospital and ICU numbers are as high as they were last January, while the pessimistic scenario is even worse. So the government must surely be extremely worried that if it fails to do the right thing now, if it fails to take the right measures now, we could end up in a situation like last winter or even worse than that. Yeah, there there is such concern about taking measures that aren't strong enough in the face of, you know, we might not know. We have those unknowns that we talked about, but we do know it's incredibly transmissible. And we do, we can see with our own eyes the experience of our nearest neighbours. And, you know, I think the, the feeling of government certainly is that there is an extreme reluctance to bring in any major new restrictions, to go back to any kind of lockdown lifestyle, to close down businesses and shutter shops, that there's just zero, zero appetite for that for loads of different reasons. Firstly, it's incredibly unpopular with the public. Secondly, we're in a completely different situation because we have vaccines and we not only have the first dose, second dose, now we're on to the third dose. But thirdly, we know so much more now about the cost of this economically. And they're, they were coming into a stage where they were feeling that they absolutely had to start tapering off these economic supports, the PUP, uh, the Employment Wage Subsidy Scheme, all these different supports. They've been at pains in recent weeks to say we cannot afford this forever. This is at the forefront of their mind as well. And they have to take into consideration all of these other factors rather than just any of these one things on their own. But definitely from what I'm picking up is this is why there's so much anxiety about what the NEFIT say because they know they have to be led by public health because if they ignore that advice and they get it wrong and they have two Christmases in a row of being blamed um, mm. for, for messing up basically that would be you know that that's a fatal blow for any government. Now you say that they believe that further lockdown measures would be extremely unpopular with the public. But I wonder, would they be? I mean, if we see a real spike in case numbers and we see the hospitals overrun as a result of that spike, I think the public would probably say we have to do what we have to do to bring it under control. Do you not think politicians would agree with that sentiment? 
I think they would and I think actually they, they carry out weekly research in the Department of Health and they look at the public mood and the public attitude and it has been changing you know we have seen that people are coming more and more in favour of restrictions but there's st- it's still quite split at the moment um, from, the, from the last statistics that I looked at and I think there's a difference between the public being in favour of like increased restrictions you know like earlier closing times for bars having the nightclubs closed all that kind of stuff and shutting us down and putting us back into you know like level one lockdown where you can can't leave and won't go beyond mm. two kilometres because people have been vaccinated and they've done what's asked of them. I think there's a line between the restrictions that people will support and going full hog on this. But I would agree with you actually generally that if this gets worse and worse and worse and we end up in, in a very dangerous situation, I think the public won't be found wanting and they, they never have been found. And I, the government are aware of that, but they're also hyper, hyper kind of sensitive to any of those changes. Now, it's, of course, the government is made up of three political parties, Fianna Gael, Fianna Fáil and the Green Party. Are they united on what should be done next? Or have you got a sense that there's any divisions or splits within the coalition about restrictions or what should happen next to maybe slow the spread of the variant? I wouldn't, go, I wouldn't go as far as to call them divisions, you know, or splits in the coalition. There's definitely has been differences of opinion. I mean, what it comes down to is they do, and this is what they did from the very beginning, they put public health advice first and they try, they, they, in as much as they can, in, in as much as they think is, is sensible and reasonable, they do follow that. I think we've seen kind of comments from, you know, Leo Varadkar where he's talked about how some of the restrictions are peculiar and that kind of set into motion like a lot of headlines and people asking questions, you know, you're, you can't sit on both sides of the fence here. Like you either are the government or you're not. You're the one who says these are the restrictions that are coming in. You can't then be on the other side saying, isn't this all very weird? Or why are we doing this? But I think he clarified then and he said, you know, the reason why I said that actually was it's peculiar because we were just defeating the Delta wave and we were coming into a place where the numbers were just, and we can see that now, like the hospital numbers were the lowest today mm. uh, than, than since mid-no- mid-October. So I think he was kind of saying, you know, it's strange that we would be in this position where we just got on top of it again. And now we are just facing this wall of COVID again. And yeah. so I suppose that when we talk about divisions, maybe that's, he's probably been a little bit more outspoken. And I definitely think on the Fine Gael side, they think we've been an outlier. The majority part, I think, you know, well, I'll just say the people I've spoken to think we've been a massive outlier in comparison to our EU counterparts. We've had the longest, most strictest, toughest lockdowns across the board when you compare it over the last two years. A wall of COVID, I have to say, is a phrase I hoped I'd never hear. But there you go. A cabinet meeting is likely to be convened before another announcement from the Taoiseach if the government has to update restrictions. Can we expect another address to the nation from Micheál Martin or is he just weary of giving those addresses to the nation as weary as we are of of listening to them? I have heard that he is weary of giving those addresses, yeah. And I've heard that they don't want to be giving an address to nation every single time they change restrictions. But there is a big difference here. You know, we've gone from, I think, the, the last address to nation, we didn't have this. I don't even know if Omicron had landed. And if it had, it literally just landed. And now we're going to a situation where by next week, it will be the dominant strain in Ireland. And so I think it probably is inevitable that he will give some kind of address. Uh, he'll either do it directly through the 6-1 news or he will do it in a press conference with the other party leaders. Now, the thing is, he's actually in Brussels at the moment for an EU summit talking about COVID passes and all kinds of different things. So he won't be back until, well, he's not scheduled to come back until late on Friday. Now, whether he comes back earlier or whether they have a press conference late, I don't know, but they're certainly keen to move fast on the NEFED advice because it doesn't really do to have NEFED coming out with recommendations on Thursday evening and then no decision being made till the following Tuesday. 
because people wonder all weekend especially now that we're only a couple of days away from Christmas people want to know people want certainty and I think they'll they'll move as fast as they can to to give people that certainty and we will be here every step of the way on irishtimes.com to provide <laughs> <laughs> as much as we can as well Jennifer Bray on that fantastic note thanks very much for talking to us thanks that's it for today in the news we'll be back on Monday <laughs>